morning. Welcome to episode three of Unraveling the Babel. As we begin today, we want to encourage you with all the craziness and chaos that we see happening in our world. There has been fear, concern, sadness. It is heartbreaking to watch. We wonder what is going on and what is coming, when it it will stop, if it will stop. It's important for us to really focus in on Jesus. He has a plan and a purpose. He sees what's happening. He knows what's happening. We have to have faith and trust in that. The disciples and the believers in the early church, they were experiencing hardships and and things that, that we really haven't even seen yet. So I want to encourage you because out of that came the church. Out of that came revival. Out of that came the spread of the gospel in ways that I don't even think the disciples could have comprehended when they began that journey. As the world gets darker, the light can become brighter. This is an opportunity for us to shine for Jesus in a way that we have not been able to do until now. So be encouraged, be uplifted, knowing that our God has everything in his sovereign control. That being said, that's going to lead us right into what we're discussing today, which is so vital. It is statistically known that there is a large percentage of people who do not even believe that Jesus was a man, that he actually lived. They think it was more of an ideology that people kind of put together and created this religion. We know, those of us who are saved, who have a relationship with Jesus, we know this is no religion. (laughs) This is no religion. There are lots of religions. The difference between our faith in Jesus and every other religion that he did live and did come in the form of a human to be among us, to be a perfect sacrifice for us, to make a way for us to have that spirit of communion back with God directly with the Father. And what is that called? Grace. The difference between our faith and every other faith is grace. We don't have to work for it. We just have to receive it. And then after we receive it, once we realize what Jesus did, the love that he poured out for us, what he gave up to come here and do that for us, it changes everything. It is transforming. And it's not an overnight thing. It is a continual everyday thing, which is why the word is so important every day in our life, because we are every day being transformed by the power of our amazing Savior. So this takes us back to what we were talking about last week and the things that we were able to authenticate through the Bible. We looked at verses from Genesis to Revelation. Of course, we can look at all of them, but here's what we were able to authenticate through Scripture. Jesus is the Word. He was with God in the beginning. He is the truth. He is the light. He is the Son of God who chose to become the Son of Man, being both at the same time. He is one with God. He became God in the flesh. Just going over that recap is exciting. Wait until 
you hear what we have today. We're calling this episode Identity Verified. Our reference is always scripture. Today, we're also going to look at some information that will further reassure and strengthen our foundation that Jesus is who he says he is from the historical description of people who are not believers. If anything, they were biased against Jesus. Now, some may say, why are you using that information? Because it is so relevant and it is so important. A lot of times the argument that people have when they're discussing the identity of Jesus, the validity of Jesus, is that with Christians, all of our information comes from Christians. So of course it's gonna say what we want it to. So we wanted to take the opportunity to show you that Jesus truly did live. Not just from a Christian perspective, but from ancient Roman historians. These individuals that we're going to be talking about were titled historians, high-ranking officials. They discussed Jesus in their written accounts, proving that Jesus did indeed live, do miracles, and was crucified. So let's get right into it. The first individual, his name was Flavius Josephus, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. I apologize if I'm not. He was thought to have been born a few years after Jesus' crucifixion. Josephus was not a follower of Christ. However, he was around at the start of the early church, and he knew people, so it was believed, who had seen and heard Jesus. He wrote the earliest non-biblical account mentioning Jesus twice in the Jewish Antiquities, which was um, a work that he wrote. It was a massive 20-volume history of the Jewish people. He writes about an unlawful execution, identifying the victim as James, the brother of Jesus, who they called the Messiah. He also wrote the Testimonium Flavianum, if I'm saying that right, which is a lengthy passage, and he describes a man, Jesus, who did surprising deeds, which we call miracles, and was condemned to be crucified by Pilate. Again, we want to reestablish here, he was not a believer. This is a historical account written in the history of that time about our Savior, Jesus Christ. The next one is Cornelius Tacitus. He is considered to be one of the most important historians of ancient Rome. He was the writer of the Annals of Imperial Rome, which chronicles the history of the Roman Empire from 14 AD during the reign of Tiberius, who was reigning at the time of Pontius Pilate, to 66 AD during the reign of Nero, who, by the way, ordered the death of Peter the disciple. Tacitus was a Roman senator. He wrote this as a detailed first-hand account of the early Roman Empire in 64 AD, chronicling the burning of Rome when he mentions Emperor Nero falsely accusing those known as Christians who were hated for their extreme faith, which was viewed by Nero as a grave crime. This is what he actually wrote. Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus. 
Tacitus was disdainful of Christians and of what he called their superstition, which is what we call faith. He most definitely had no bias in favor of Christians, but simply stated these facts in this account. Tacitus is considered, again, a great historian, and as people have studied his work, what had become known is that if he considered any information not entirely reliable, he would provide a written indication of that so people would know. Yet here, as he writes this, there's no indication of that. This verifies Jesus lived, that he was crucified under the authority of Pontius Pilate during the time of Tiberius. And we know that when all of this took place, when they took Jesus into custody and, and you know, had their non-hearing hearing, and they decided that he needed to be brought before Pilate, we know that the disciples had dispersed. This is also proof that the disciples came back together and started the early church with Peter at the forefront, just as Jesus said that he would be the rock on which the church would be built, also verifying the counts that Peter died under the reign of Nero. We're not done yet. Roman governor Pliny the Younger. In Roman history, there were different levels of things you could be. Kind of like in our military, we have you know, privates and specialists and majors and colonels and generals. It was similar in the Roman Empire. They had governors, senators, emperors. They were all labeled different things. Pliny the Younger, who was a Roman governor, who was also alive during the time of Tacitus and wrote an account of Jesus to Emperor Trajan. Trajan was a successful soldier emperor who presided over the greatest military expansion in Roman history. He was known for overseeing public building programs, implementing social welfare policies, creating a reputation as the second of the five good emperors who presided during a time of peace and prosperity. So Pliny is writing this letter to him, probably informing him of everything that's going on in the territory that he's overseeing. And as he's writing this letter, he tells him that Christians would sing hymns to Christ as to a God. This is huge. This brings us back to Jesus being the Son of God, praised by those who believed in him as God, yet remembered by those who didn't believe in him as a phenomenon. I try to imagine what Pliny was thinking as he was writing this letter, and he's trying to tell Trajan everything that's going on, and he's like, these Christians, I mean, they sing to Christ like he's a god. I can't help but think that he was baffled by it. This was some crazy phenomenon because after Jesus was crucified, they thought that was it. It should have been over. But we know that Jesus rose again and it wasn't over. It was just the beginning of the church. So then people might say, well, is there anyone that questions these historians? It is said by historians that no one thought Jesus was made up. So we have just thrown out that whole question, that confusion of the uncertainty of if Jesus was even a real person. Yes, he was. Now that we have established firmly, not just from our study last week of the biblical explanation of Jesus, but now from a historical perspective, 
from individuals that did not believe in him as the son of God, some within the Jewish culture and some from the Roman culture, showing us that he indeed, he didn't just live, he impacted the world around them. Man, isn't that just like our Jesus? This brings us to the Bible. Because some of the next questions that people struggle with is, how do we know the Bible is the inspired word of God? We want to share some things with you that we believe are going to abolish those doubts. First, we can establish that making a case that proves Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, proves the reliability and truth of the Bible on its own merit. But we want to go further. The Bible is not just a copy of a copy. Accuracy was always at the forefront, counting each letter in a line and on a page. There are variations that exist, but in comparing the numerous early texts, they verify the original wording in nearly every single case. Physical evidence shows the records incredibly accurate to the original manuscripts. The Bible is unlike any other book because it is a book of books, 66 of them in fact, written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different writers that all somehow miraculously share a unified message. And these writers were from all walks of life, kings, priests, scholars, fishermen, prophets, and they all had one main commonality, God. The Bible is called God's Word. He worked through people whom he inspired to write his words, recording them with the Old Testament focusing on him dealing with his chosen people, to the New Testament, which focuses on the life and ministry of Jesus, his death, resurrection, and the challenges and hardships of the early church in an anti-Christ culture, and it also encompasses the prophecy of the second coming. So let's look at some of that. Prophecies of the Bible include detailed descriptions of events that happened after the prophecy was given, in some cases hundreds of years in advance. And of course, as things begin to come to light in our culture, in our world, um, we see that some of those prophecies are from thousands of years ago coming true even in our day today. These prophecies concern the Jewish people, the surrounding nations, as well as prophecies about the future that concern all nations and all people. Of all the holy books of the world, only the Bible contains accuracy and predictions of prophecy. Think about this. The prophecies, for the most part, are independent of one another. They would have to be. We have a 1,500-year span of writers. So the odds for all of them being fulfilled by chance without error, let's just take some of the main ones that most people focus on. More than a thousand of them with almost 700 known to be fulfilled and none proven false. The odds of this happening is one in 10 to the 2000th power. Think about that number for a bit. In the mathematical world, that's what they call nearly impossible. These predictions demonstrate that we can trust the Bible as the inspired word of God. In fact, God, through the Bible, gives prophecy its purpose. 
And we know that based on Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That is God's stamp on the word of God telling us this is truth. This is my word. This is inspired by me. I am the author of this book and I will bring it all to pass because that is my pleasure. I am a God of my word and everything in that book will come to pass. That is powerful. That should get us excited knowing that our God is not some wishy-washy God, but he is a God of power and might, a God that keeps his word and keeps his promises, a God that will do what he says he will do. With all of that said, as we know that Jesus lived, he was a real person in the history of our world. We see the evidence of his miracles, his ministry, his death, of all these things we learn about in the word of God are verified. We know the Bible, the only book to fulfill its prophecies throughout time with pinpoint accuracy, proving that it is truly the inspired word of God, authenticated by God in Isaiah. To top that off, it is also the best-selling book of all time worldwide with over 5 billion copies sold. The question should not be, how can we know the Bible's inspired if it was written by men? The question should be, how can we not know the Bible is the inspired word of God because it was written by over 40 different men, all having the same message of God being God over a 1500 year span, many prophesying future events, most of which have come to pass without error. Jesus is who he says he is. The Bible is the inspired word of God. The word was with God in the beginning, as we saw last week in John 1, 1 and 2. Jesus is the word which we verified in Revelation and other scriptures last week. Identity confirmed. Identity verified. This should get us excited as believers, excited for whatever it is that's getting ready to happen because God is stirring his church. He wants us to get rid of all the divisions, all of the opinions, all of the arguments for the cause of Christ in unity, one faith, one church. I know that we were going to talk about the, the scriptures in John. We're going to postpone that. We'll say this is part one, and we're going to look at that for next Monday. But this was important. This was something we really needed to talk about. This is something that will cause us to really plant our feet hard into the foundation of who God is in our individual lives. And as we begin to seek and search him out every day, he will just continue to reveal himself, to give us understanding, to open our minds that will not only create change within our own life, but that will become itself contagious to everyone around us. 
And that is exactly what he wants to happen because it won't be us. It will be the light that is within us. That's our purpose in our everyday life to portray the glory of God onto other people. Next week, we're going to get into those verses 6 through 18. So until then, let's unravel that babble with the Bible.